Lord, I just pray I can be, continue to be stirred up, but also be focused on what, what you're doing today and with the message, Father. Mm. Oof. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Oh. All right. Let's open up to Isaiah 56. Great verse. Rather, great series of verses. Such a beautiful promise in uh, Older Testament times about what will come of the foreigner, those who are not of the household of Israel. Isaiah 56, verse 3, I'm going to pick up on it. It says here, Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Even to them I will give my house and within my walls a memorial and a name. Better than that of sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his Servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, yet I will gather to him others besides those who are gathered to him. There's a beautiful promise that there are going to be more people that will be gathered into the household of the Lord than just the nation of Israel, coming from the prophet Isaiah. And it's also a promise today that those people who are looked down in society, who we would view spiritually as foreigners to the faith, and even the eunuchs, which is a whole other thing, that they too have a promise to come into the house of the Lord and be a part of his house. Such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so, this week I uh, originally set out to teach on uh, this concept of what I was calling "Beware of the Empty Cup," and, and that was going to be a going to be pat. Right? I guess kind of like a past tense um, of a teaching on like how do you keep yourself from being empty and stay full and. How do you stay full and, and all that? And that was, that was the plan. I was even writing up notes and stuff for it. And, oh, and the Lord just changed everything, you know. Like last minute change. And so I was, uh, I was, you know, I'm a little quirky, if you haven't picked up on that at times. And so I'm reading this book to Naomi right now. It's about a Navy SEAL who comes to his nephew's house in the summer. And the kid had like a horrible fifth grade experience. There's a bully that's pick, picking on him. He doesn't know how to swim yet. Um, he's not good at math. And like the worst of the worst is when it comes to gym class. He can't do one pull-up. So he's like devastated, right, for fifth grader. He's like, oh, I can't do these things. So the uncle comes by. Uncle's like, I'm going to put you on a schedule. So every morning they wake up. They exercise together. 
Then they do like they practice their times tables and then they go to the pool and they slowly learn how to swim and they, they do chin holds until he's strong enough to do a full pull up and the uncle's like by the end of the summer you're gonna be able to do 10 pull ups slowly. And it's just a beautiful book, it really is a beautiful book on teaching kids not to be a victim but teaching kids like how to overcome adversity and nothing is too big to overcome if you got to break it down into small steps and do it. And so like we're reading it, like I'm getting like all pumped up. In fact, we read like one chapter a night, but like I, I had to just read the whole thing. So when she went to bed, I plowed through the whole thing. So anyhow, so the, what I'm, what's happening here is so the other night it, it comes down, like they got their times tables down, right? He could swim already. He's at about four pull-ups. He's on his way. And then he's like, let's tackle some social studies stuff. I'm like, Whoa. And so he's teaching, um, teaching his nephew like how to, how to memorize all of the presidents, very like elementary school kind of thing, like memorize all the presidents. Uh, but then also, after you're done memorizing presidents, he's like, and there's one other thing that you need to memorize. And the nephew's like, what? And he's like, the Gettysburg Address. So now I'm reading the Gettysburg Address to my six-year-old. And I've read it, a, I don't know how many times being a history teacher. And certain words just jumped out at me, like just grabbed a hold of my soul. And I was like, oh, Lord, what are you doing? I already put together a message. <laughs> and uh, it was this, man. It's Memorial Day, right? It's Memorial Day. It's Memorial Day. And at school, it's Memorial Day. And kids and families are away. And they're at the beach. And they're barbecuing. And they're doing all these things. And it's fun, fun, fun. And, and I remembered... Uh, a guy that I worked with when I was a butcher, his name was Al. Al uh, was a Vietnam vet. And people, you know, Memorial Day weekend at the grocery store is like nuts, right? Everyone's buying hamburgers and corn on the cob and all this kind of stuff. And people would come over like, how come you don't have the steak? And how come you don't have 80-20 ground beef? How come we only have the 90-10? Like all this kind of stuff, you know? And like mul multiple years, it rains on Memorial Day. And people come in like, I can't believe it's raining on Memorial Day. And here's this Vietnam vet. He literally goes to the customer I think, multiple times. It was like just years went by. He would do this for years. Oh, I can't believe it's raining on Memorial Day. And he would look at them and say, it's supposed to rain on Memorial Day. It's a day of remembering those people who died. For our freedoms. How about, oh, it's an opening weekend of the summer. Pfft. And so fine, you know, it's Memorial Day. I'm thinking about what to preach on. I'm reading the Gettysburg Address. It's like this epic thing. And the words just stepped, just jumped out at me. Lincoln says, and these dead shall not have died in vain. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, in my life, in my life, not in your life, in my life, it's very introspective, in my life, and the way that I live my life, have those men died in vain? Meaning, do I take advantage of what they laid their lives out for? I was thinking about it. So what do we got? Uh, a list of... Uh, Many of the American wars, not all of them, but if you take a look here, right? American Revolution, 4,435 casualties. 
War of 1812, 2260, Mexican War, 13,283. Boom! Civil War. 618,000 men killed. So high because it's brother fighting against brother. It's American fighting against American. We fast forward a little bit to World War II. 405,339 people died to eliminate tyranny and a dictatorship to a psychopath who's putting people in ovens. It's like, man. And how interesting. Two and a half miles west of here is Gettysburg Battlefield. 50 to 55,000 people killed in three days. Just two and a half, two and a half hours. Sorry, not miles. Two and a half hours away. And so with that being said, if we can switch over and uh, put the computer music on, I'll show you a video. So, freedom is not free. Your physical freedom that you have within a nation state, a country, is not free. And the freedom that you have spiritually is also not free. It's been purchased. It's been purchased by blood. And so, they, soldiers, died for your political and natural freedom. And he, Jesus, Yeshua, died for your spiritual freedom. And so I'm contemplating this and I'm like, am I living a life that is worthy of that sacrifice?
And so I said 50,000 people died just at Gettysburg alone. And I'm reading this Gettysburg Address. And so the backstory of what's happening here with the reading of the Gettysburg Address that really just prompted me in all this is, is that several months after the war, or after the, after the battle, and Abraham Lincoln is going to Gettysburg, which is no small task back in those days with trains and horseback. And they're going, and the purpose of them going is to consecrate the land in order to essentially make it a national park. And there's still like the remains of the battle. It's still there, you know. And it's, it's quite comical. Before Abraham Lincoln goes up to give a speech, there's a reverend that's invited to speak first. That reverend from New England speaks for two hours. Here they are in November of 1863 sitting there in this like death pit and this reverend is speaking for two hours. And the funny thing is no one remembers what he said. No one even remembers his name. But Abraham Lincoln gets up, gives a two-minute speech, 272 words, and his words are going to be words that echo in history. They're words that, that both sober and impassion hearts and souls of men even today. And so I'm going to read it to you. And it's a little bit of a different sermon. I'm going to kind of teach out of it a little bit. So listen up and try to listen to the beauty of his words if I can do it justice. <clears throat> Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives. For those here who gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hollow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here, have consecrated it, far above our power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. And so when reading this to my little girl on her bed at 8.15 at night, getting ready for bed, this is what really jumped out at me. 
It is for us, the living, rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work, which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us. Now, what is Lincoln saying here? Now, let's just think about this. This is the largest battle and the most amount of people that have died in one location in the history of the Western Hemisphere. The New World never saw that many people die in bloodshed in one locale like that, ever. And he's there, and it's a holy moment. It's a hallowed moment. The nation is mourning for brother slaying brother. And 50,000 people dying halfway through this war without an end in sight. And he's there, and he says, Okay, we've come here to consecrate this land. To make it special. To make it be remembered throughout all time. But what does he say? No. It is rather what should be happening is that the land, the battlefield itself, should be consecrating us. That the event that took place there and the blood that was spilled there should actually be consecrating us when we're here. We're not consecrating the land. The land and the blood that has been spilled is consecrating us. It's, it's making us... It's calling us The blood of those men and their hopes and their dreams and their spouses and their children and their sons and their daughters and uncles and girlfriends, all you just they don't have those people. They're gone. And they laid it down. And he's saying here that their blood is consecrating us for a purpose. And so what is the purpose? What is the work that is unfinished? To finish the war? To end slavery? And to live a life of freedom? And so I'm thinking, and it's not just the 50,000 Gettysburg, right? I mean, it's all those that have fallen in battle. And I'm thinking about all this, and obviously it's Memorial Day, guys. You know, I'm thinking, and, and, and I'm like, am I living a life? Am I living a life of freedom? Not you, me. I'm at, am I living a life of freedom? Am I living a life that is worthy of their sacrifice? And me being me, I'm like, well, if I'm not living in freedom, then I'm not living a life worthy of their sacrifice. If I'm living a life of bondage and slavery, then their life, and their death, rather, was in vain. And then I get with the Lord with all this, and it was more importantly, am I living a life that is honoring the death, the blood, the crucifixion of Jesus? Or did he die in vain? Now before you stone me, he didn't die in vain. He defeated the powers of sin and death. But in some kind of weird cosmic philosophical way, if I am not taking advantage 
of the power of the gospel, of the power of the death and resurrection, if I am not taking advantage of the power of the blood and living a life of freedom spiritually, in some way, I think we could argue you're trampling the cross underfoot, as the book of Hebrews says. So, there's different types of freedom. There's natural and political freedom. And this brings us to the soldiers. And so, well, you know, soldiers haven't died and invaded. Look, we're free. Fine, you're free. You're free to do what? I was just, I was just teaching this to my kids in high school just the other day. Like, I'm American. I'm free. You're free? Are you really free? Well, of course. I live in America. Okay. You're free. But are you free to just work nine to five and have your career and make your money and buy a big house? Like, did those guys lay down their lives so that you can achieve that? I hope not. Because I don't know about you. I am not willing to lay down my life just so that another person who's not me can just do their nine to five job. Like, I'd be like, I'd rather just live underneath communism then. Like, just, just have the dictators come. Like, nine to five and make money? That's not what these guys lay down their lives for. They lay down their lives for deeper political freedom. You know what I mean? Like, the freedom to, to speak. The freedom of speech. The freedom to assemble together. The freedom to worship. And I'm like, holy cow. Like, these guys, could they have passed in vain if I do not take advantage of those rights? Well, of course you take advantage of your rights. You know, you're American, you get to speak. Do you really speak freely? Do you really speak freely? Do you really, like we hear from Bill all the time in a while on a grocery store, freely speak the power of the gospel in a public space? I don't know if I can do that. 600,000 soldiers, 500,000 soldiers, World War II and the Civil War, died so that you could have the right to openly speak about your faith. And if we don't openly speak about our faith, forget about the blood of Jesus for a moment, the blood of soldiers who died so that you could have that freedom. The freedom to assemble together and worship your God. Do we take advantage of the coming together and worshiping the Lord in exaltation? Because other societies do not have that right. But we do. And the Lord was just wrecking me like, Dave, men lay down their lives so you could exercise the power of the gospel in a free land. Like, we have an opportunity of such immense political freedom that we can share the gospel openly and willingly in a grocery store. Like Paul the Apostle did it and like he was getting thrown in jail. We do it and we just get looked at as weird. And so this is what I'm saying here is you know, for us to take advantage this Memorial Day, take advantage and determine are you actually walking out the freedom that these soldiers laid down for you? Or are you just free to buy your, you know, your used car and work 9 to 5 and pay your bills? 
And then, of course, this raises the question, uh, what about the spiritual freedom of the Lord that he's given us? And maybe we can have the, uh, the worship team come on down, please. Did the Son of God die in vain for you? And I clarified. It's not vain because of sin and death. But let's like take it to another level, okay? Let's, the theologians, let's just, let's just take it to another level. He did not die in vain. But for you personally, did he die in vain? And I, I, I'm wrestling with this. You don't, have to, you don't have to start yet. I'm wrestling with this. He died so that we can have life. He died so that we can have everlasting life. He died so we can have security. He died so that we can have reconciliation with God and unto other men. And women. But he died so that you would be free. And I just was sitting there. And I was like, Lord, what am I doing with the life that was purchased for me? Lord, what am I doing with the life that was purchased for me by your blood? Am I living a life that is worthy of your sacrifice? Meaning, am I living a life of true, biblical, spiritual freedom? Freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from death. Freedom from ego. Freedom from being offended. Freedom from guilt. Freedom from putting myself down. Freedom of having expectations. Freedom of always trying to prove myself. Freedom of worry. Freedom of anxiety. True freedom. Alright, we're finally getting someone. Grab Bill's up. Come on, man. Now, this is, this is probably a verse that most pastors do not preach from. I'm going for it. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. Oh, some of you know it. This is Peter talking about sinners. Sinners who have been saved and yet continue to live in sin. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus the Messiah. And if they are again entangled in them, in the pollution, in the sin, and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. What is he saying here? For those of you who have been saved from the pollution and the dirt and the dust and the junk and the sin of the world. You've been saved by grace, grace alone. But yet you now go back to those ways. And you get entangled with that sin again. It was better if maybe you weren't really getting saved in the first place. Verse 21. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed her, her, oh, 
to her wallowing in the mire. I'm like, Lord, I've been saved. I get to walk in freedom. But I want to make sure I'm not a dog returning to the vomit of my past sins and my past patterns, my past behaviors. Everyone wants to highlight certain sins. You know, lust, adultery, greed. But there's so many other things that are like more, you know, subtle that we kind of give excuses for. I don't want to turn to the vomit of worry again. It's vomit. It's been purged out of me. I do not want to return to the vomit of anxiety again and to the vomit of depression again and the vomit of having to prove myself to people again. It's vomit. I'm supposed to be free from all of those things because I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. But there's such a tendency for us to be like dogs returning to the vomit of our, of, of our, of our flesh. Don't return. Don't return to it. Because if we keep returning to it, we're diminishing the power of the death and resurrection. In part, we are causing the, the blood of Jesus to be done in some type of vanity. So many people have uh, the, 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 the commandment, do not take the Lord's name in vain. A lot of us have it completely misunderstood. Taking the Lord's name in vain is not like, oh God. You know, the response like, oh Jesus, oh God. This happened again, oh God. That's not vanity. Taking the Lord's name in vain, biblically explained, is either doing something in the name of the Lord, which is not in his name. That's like jihadists, like Allah has said that we are to blow people up. That's like taking the notion of like, that's what I'm talking about. Like the crusaders going out like just cutting people's heads off underneath the name of Christ. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. Not like, oh God. The other part of taking the Lord's name in vain of the commandments is this. Undervaluing the power of his name. And I believe that there's a lot of people in the church at large that undervalue the power of his name and take his name and his sacrifice in vain. You get this. I'm telling you, the sins of your life will be so cut you will not return to the vomit. Because if you're returning to the vomit of the sins of your life, you are actually taking the Lord's name in vain. Because his name and his blood releases power. Power. Resist the devil. Submit to God and he has to go. Not like he might go. He has to go. Lay your hands on the sick and they shall be healed. And if we're walking out a powerless Christian walk. We're taking his name in vain. We don't believe in the power. And then therefore, some way, he's died in vain. You following? Come on. Get a little praise in the house of the Lord or something. John chapter 8, 34. Come on, the beauty of the gospel. Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. 
And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. This isn't like partial freedom, man. This is the ability to walk in such freedom in the power of the gospel that says, I no longer am a slave to sin because I have a new master and his name is Jesus. But we got to put it on. And if we don't put it on, I'm just being real with you guys, we are taking the Lord's name in vain. We're taking his death and sacrifice and making it vanity of vanities. It is time for us to be called into higher places. Amen? It is time for us to put on the word of the Lord. It is time for us this weekend, this Memorial Day, to, yes, give honor to the men who laid down their lives so that we can have political freedom, but also as a place that we have a God who became flesh, who laid down his life and spilled his blood so that you can be spiritually free from the entanglements of sin. This whole Christian concept that you can just go on serving the Lord and still be entangled of sin is such a Western baloney thing. It's BS, a baloney sandwich. Look, do I have struggles? Yes. But I do not return to the vomit. I'm not going to let it define me. And when caught in something or doing something that I know is not right in the Lord, you stop and you say, Lord, this is not what you've called me to. Help me. Show me how to resist the devil. Show me how to submit to you. Show me how to have the chains be released. Because the chains have already been released, but we have a tendency to put those chains back on. And now you're taking the Lord's name in vain. Because his name sets you free. And if we're not walking out the power of his name, then we're not going to be set free. You get what I'm saying? To be free, you need to exercise your rights. To exercise your rights, you need to first know your rights. You have the right to worship in here, in your house, in the street, in your car, out of your car, in work, in the grocery store. You have the freedom to worship. You have the freedom to gather together. You have the freedom by yourself to sing in tongues when you walk down the street. You have the freedom to go to someone who's looking downcast at the grocery store at the mall and say, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? Can I pray for you? You have the freedom to do that. But what's so coy about the plan of the enemy, you're free in a free state to do that, but you put a chain on our own selves that we're embarrassed to do it. You have the freedom to do it, but Satan uses you to put your own chain back on. These men shall not have died in vain. And so, what are your spiritual rights? Hopefully, your social studies teacher back in the day told you about your political rights. Come on. Come on. When I'm looking for James, someone tell me what one of your spiritual rights is. Shout it out. Come on. Anything. Alright, this is what we need to work on then. What are some of your spiritual rights? You are dead to sin. Dead. It's not like, oh, something I have to try to achieve. No, you are dead to sin. 
That's what you have to try to do. It's already been done. It's been done by the power of the Holy Ghost and the blood of Jesus. You are dead to sin. You are a new creation. You are sons and daughters. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are the righteousness of God. You're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You're one who can resist the, 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 the fiery darts of the evil one because of the power of His Word. But if you don't know those rights, you can't exercise the rights. And what happens every single time, I'm telling you, man, I've been doing this thing for a long time. I've been doing this since I was six years old. The way that you walk down the path of sin and not walking in the path of your righteousness that is found in Him and the calling that He has placed on you is this. Satan whispers in your ear and either says, you deserve this or you're not good enough to have these rights or it's okay. There is grace. That's how it works. What were the three? You're not good enough. Was it? You don't deserve it. It's okay. I'm telling you, you have to get this in your spirit. Because when you leave here, as soon as you step outside of that door, who's going to come knocking on your brain and into your soul? It's going to be the evil one. Who's going to say, you're not good enough. You're not worthy enough. You're allowed to do it. It's impossible not to live a sinful life. It is impossible without the blood of Jesus. But I have to know my rights. I'm telling you, people, you've got to read the Word. And you need to know your rights. Psalm 91, for crying out loud. No evil and no sickness and no disease shall befall the righteous ones of God. But you got to put it on. you got to remind yourself. Oh, man, the people at work are giving me such a hard time. Oh, the Word of God says that you shall be the head and not the tail. The Word of God says in Isaiah, which we just read, right, that I'm going to give you a name and a memorial. i got a name, and his name is Jesus. And i got a memorial. And the memorial stone says that I'm a son or a daughter of God. I am I'm, I'm enclosed, enclosed, I should say, with such amazing, amazing, unimaginable power. Do you know that? Sorry to be talking so loud. I'm just getting fired up. Like, do you know that the blood of Jesus that's on you and the Holy Ghost that is in you has given you the most unbelievable, unimaginable power in the cosmos? You have it. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Sin and death has been defeated. Death, where is thy sting? Even death does not have power over me because of Jesus. And if death has no power over me, gee golly whiz, sin, get the heck out of here. You have no place here because here is the righteousness of God. And in here is housing, the temple of the Holy Ghost. But you have to know your Right. Because once you leave here, it's impossible. You can't do it. You deserve it. You deserve that extra drink. You deserve to go on that website. You deserve to prove yourself to other people. Anyone did it. Didn't even King David struggle with such things? That's true. But King David didn't have the blood of Jesus. 
King David wasn't a new creation yet. King David did not have the Holy Ghost living and residing inside of him. I do. So Satan, get out of here. I have unbelievable power that causes you and every demon to shake in his boots. Get out. Get away. You have no place here. You have no room here. You have no authority here. This is my life. This is my family. This is my home. This is the church body that you have brought me to. You cannot and will not have a place here. Go somewhere else. I cast you out from this environment. You have that power. You just need to know it. And then you need to exercise it. Because it's not your power. It's his power in you. You get what I'm saying? Oh, it's not possible. No. You're not good enough. James 4. So you have it for your notes. 4, chapter 7. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Cleanse. Mm. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up. Father, you say in the prophet Isaiah, chapter 56, that to the foreigner who has not known you has not been called into the house of Israel. And to the eunuchs who keep your ways and love you, Lord, that you will give them a name and you will give them a memorial a Yad and a Shem a Yad Vashem a memorial and a name Father I thank you for the name that has been given the name by which every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Yeshua Jesus is Lord but Father, I pray this Memorial Day that we walk just not in the name, but that we walk in the memorial. And what is in the memorial? The memorial is a remembrance. A remembrance that you died not in vain. That you loved me, even I, a poor wretched sinner of the past. A poor sinner lost and blind. Let me remember that you saved that thing so that that thing can be molded into the image of Messiah. Lord, let me remember the rights that have been given to me because of the blood that I can go boldly and shortly into the throne room of God that I'm a new creation, that I have such power in you that I'm even more than a conqueror, that where I go, darkness flees, where I go, demons tremble, and no devil, and no demon, and no junk can get a hold of me.
because I'm yours and I will forever be yours. Father, wake us up to that remembrance. Wake us up from the stupor of our lack of understanding and so that we can shout this weekend, Jesus has not and never will have been died in vain in my life. Not in my life. I'm saved. I'm redeemed. I'm the righteousness of God. I'm a mover and a shaker. Where my feet go, the enemy trembles. Why? Because I submit to God. And I resist the, the temptations of the evil one. Because less of me means more of you. Because laying down my life, I get life. Life everlasting. Life immemorial. Let us remember the Yad, the memorial, and the Shem, the name. Come on, let's stand. Let's declare to the world. Let's declare to the mind and to the heart. And let us remember when we leave this place, the power of the resurrection, the power of the sweetness of amazing grace.